0: Greetings friends, welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean, website is scriptureandprophecy.com That's where you go to find the archives, that's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well today we are resuming our study in the book of Romans, and we are ready for Romans chapter 9 this morning. Now if you thought last week's was a little bit challenging... Uh, dealing and wrestling with the reality that if you are a child of God that you've that you are a child of God because you were called according to his purpose because you were drawn because you were chosen before the foundations of the earth, and that is a tough doctrine. Let me just read that. little portion out of chapter 8 real quick, starting with verse 28. He says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren And those whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now in chapter 9, Paul's actually going to take it a step further. And uh, if anything, it's more difficult to wrestle with the reality Of how things are. Um, So we're going to read it. And then I'm going to give you a a couple sentences from Matthew Henry. And I'm just going to let you kind of chew on it and wrestle with it yourselves. Um, But take to heart what the scriptures say. Now chapter 9 begins with Paul kind of uh, expressing his sadness for his fellow Israelites, for those who are natural descendants of Abraham. And he even goes as far as to say, I'd give up my relationship with Christ for the sake of the rest of my brethren. Like he's really torn by the saddened, sad reality that a large percentage, if not a majority, of his brethren are not coming to Christ. And he's very torn up about that. But then he's going to go back into that conversation about those who are called according to God's purpose. Remember, Jesus said, No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. In other words, you're not seeking Christ on your own, nor are you even interested. But God compels you, God draws you to him. All right stage is set. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 9. It's 33 verses. I've taken the time this morning to pray that God would give me the wisdom that he would anoint the teaching this morning and I pray that your hearts are opened and that they'll be pierced this morning. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 9. Just a reminder, he ends chapter 8 with saying all things, you know, talking about how Christ loved us, loves us and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Now Romans 9 verse 1 says, I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenant, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is overall God bless forever. Amen. So he's saying I, I I would choose for myself to be accursed to be separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren who you know were supposed to inherit all the promises and who had the temple services and just and who had the law. And who even Christ himself Messiah came from who was a Jew. Verse 6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants, for this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, who when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Okay, just a handful of verses there, but a lot to chew on. The book of Romans is requires... Lots of study, lots of meditation, lots of prayer, lots of wrestling. First thing to understand is, is Paul's saying, you know what, I've, I've realized it's, the word of God didn't fail. Meaning, even though the promises were made to Israel and Israel rejected the promise, that being Messiah, it doesn't mean the word of God failed. He says, because not all who are Israel are actually descendants of Israel, right? He's making the point that it's it's a faith thing. And he says, likewise, not all who are descendants, meaning their natural flesh, DNA, are actual children of God either, right? And he goes on, look at the twins. God said from the beginning, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. So he chose Jacob. He rejected Esau before they were even born, before they could even do anything. Right? He makes that point. This is not Sean making the point. Paul makes the point. He says, for though the twins were not yet born, it had not done anything good or bad. So that, what's so that mean? For this reason, God's purpose according to his choice would stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. As it is written to her, the older will serve the younger, just as this is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, a lot of people struggle with this. How could could this be? Paul is not oblivious to the fact that people are going to struggle with this reality. Look at the next verse, verse 14. What shall we say then? Question mark. Is there no injustice with God, or or I'm sorry, there is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. Okay, so Paul says, what do we say then? Because before you even say it, before you say, well, that's not fair. He says, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and i will have compassion on whom i have compassion so let's stop there for a second listen if you're a believer today you didn't do it isn't because of you it isn't because of anything you did that makes you so special god will show mercy to whom he will show mercy it's that simple he chose you from the foundation of the earth for whatever reason he called you according to his purpose He knew you from the very beginning, just like he chose Jacob and rejected Esau before they were even born, had not done anything good or bad. He tells Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. Why? Because he's God and because he has a way bigger, deeper understanding than you can. Were like an ant to a man in comparison. You cannot fully grasp his ways. Who can understand the mind of God? Continuing on, what does Paul say? He says, so, then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. God said, Pharaoh, your whole purpose is so that my name can be glorified. So then, verse 18, He has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. Remember, Moses would go to Pharaoh and God would harden Pharaoh's heart. Did Pharaoh have a choice? (laughs) So then we're going to now our human emotions are going to come in and we're going to again. Well, that's not fair, right? How could God do that? It's not fair. Did, Did Pharaoh even have a choice, right? I mean, fair questions, but it's It comes from human understanding and human emotion. Paul not oblivious to that question again. The next verse he says, You will say to me then, Why does God still find fault? Who can resist his will? So basically the objection is, is How can God blame anyone for sin and unbelief? When he has sovereignly determined a person's destiny. The study Bible I'm looking at. Well, let me I'll read that to you here in just a second. So he answers, he he raises the question, You will say to me then, why does God still find fault? Who can resist his will? On the contract on the contrary, who are you? O man, who answers back to God? So Paul, Paul doesn't give a satisfactory answer, does he? He says, uh, "Who do you think you are?" So you're gonna you're gonna ask that question. You're gonna say, "How can God find fault in me?" Then, who can resist the will of God? And Paul comes back with, "Who are you to question God? You're a human being. You are a created being. Questioning the Creator of all things, who's omniscient and, and who knows all from the beginning to the end." who breathed the breath of life into man, who poured his spirit into you and saved you in spite of the fact that you didn't deserve to be saved, in spite of the fact that you were an enemy of God. He showed mercy to you. Who are you to talk back to God and question his motives? That's what Paul's getting at. The study Bible says here, The nature of Paul's reply makes it clear that he is not addressing those with honest questions about this difficult doctrine, but those who seek to use it to excuse their own sin and unbelief. Right? Because someone might say, well, it's not my fault. It's God's fault that I'm a sinner. It's God's fault that I, you know, use." they're going to use God's sovereignty. Listen. Listen closely because I, I see this at times with people using God's sovereignty as an excuse to live however they want, as an excuse to sin. If that's you, you're on a dang, you're in dangerous ground. Paul says, who are you to answer back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Right? Like the pot, the clay is not going to say to the potter, why did you make me a bowl? Right? That would be absurd. That's what Paul's saying. Verse 21, or does the potter have right over the clay to make from the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much, much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? That's a tough doctrinal question. What if God created some for the sake of demonstrating His wrath and His power? Again, we might be tempted to say, not fair. But instead what you ought to say is thank you Lord Jesus, thank you Father in heaven for showing grace and mercy to me that I didn't deserve. You saved me for for no reason of my own, for no doing of my own, but to just simply show mercy. It shouldn't be, well that's not fair about this or that, or how could God be sovereign over this thing over here? How could he create people that he knows are going to be bound for hell? These are... These are difficult questions. Paul's doing his best to try to answer them in human terms. Verse 23. And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us. So we're the vessels of mercy that God prepared beforehand, right? Whom also, whom he also called Not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. And her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they should be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is, rem- it is a remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth, thoroughly and quickly, and just as Isaiah foretold. Unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left to us a, poster- uh, a posterity, he would have, we would have become like Sodom, and would have resembled Gomorrah. Verse 30. What? Shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness even the righteousness which is by faith but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness did not arrive at that law? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone just as it is written behold I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. My friends, that is Romans 9. Difficult. But just because something's difficult, and just because maybe we don't like it, or, or because we struggle with it, doesn't make it any less true. It is God's word. Let me end with a short a couple of sentences from Matthew Henry's commentary. He says whatever God does must be just. Wherein the holy happy people of God differ from others? God's grace alone makes them differ. Did you catch that? <laughs> you know what makes you different from the non-believer walking down the street? Or that you encounter in the office, or at the grocery store, or in your own family. There's one difference. God's grace. That's the difference. The difference between you and that person is not you're so special, or that you're so disciplined. It's God's grace. Because without God's grace, you wouldn't be disciplined. You wouldn't have self-control. You would be like them lost, on the road to destruction. Continuing with Matthew, Henry's commentary says, In this preventing effectual, distinguishing grace, he acts as a benefactor whose grace is his own. Right? See, the grace belongs to God, and since he's the owner of it, He can do with it what he wills. And he can share it with whoever he decides to share it with. He doesn't need your approval to do that. Here's the last sentence. Listen closely. None have deserved it. So that those who are saved must thank God only. And those who perish must blame themselves only. None have deserved it. So that those who are saved, right? So if you're saved, where's the credit go? You must thank God only. Why? Because you didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. Neither does the lost person deserve it. Neither of you deserve it. And those who perish must blame themselves only. It's difficult, friends. <laughs> but this is what the scriptures teach. And you'd have to do some really long walks around and, and really, you know, take some things out of context. And, you know, you really have to a la carte the scriptures to deal with Romans chapter eight and chapter nine and try to make it not say what it says. And trust me, there's entire denominations who do that. There's also people who take it too far, right? They take the sovereignty of God too far, like I mentioned. And now it's an excuse to sin because I can't help it. I mean, God's sovereign over, no. But the important thing to walk away from today is not, how could he not save Bob down the street the question to ask is, how could God show mercy to me? Why would he show such great mercy to me? When I get to the pearly gates, I can thank him and him alone. It won't be because of anything that I've accomplished. My works are but filthy rags before the Lord. This is not to say that we don't work. Or that we don't put forth effort. We're talk, I'm talking about salvation alone. None of us have deserved it. So those of us who are saved must thank God only. And then those who perish must blame themselves only. Thanks for listening, friends. By the way, thank you for supporting the podcast. This couldn't happen without your generosity and your kindness and your grace to me. So thank you. If you want to support this work, uh, links are on the YouTube channel, or you can just go to scriptureandprophecy.com. There's a support tab at the top with all the options. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your prayers. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.